You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. If you are listening to the podcast of this, it is located at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, who are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of Collected Works, Volume 266, the second volume of three in that book, entitled Esoteric Lessons. These are from 1910 to 1912, translated by James Hines. This is part eight of what will now, I realize, be nine parts. And this covers the pages in the book from 316 to 362. Esoteric Lesson given in Helsinki, Helsingfors, April 5th, 1912. Notes from Elsa Krikeldorf. Purifying the blood achieves independence of mind. Purifying lymph, clear thoughts. Purifying chyle, noble feelings. Purifying flow in nerves from the senses. Pure, honest intentions. How we meditate is essential. What we meditate is less essential. The further we come, the greater the danger that impure spirits attempt to settle into us. There is an occult method to fight this. For a moment we must imagine the staff of Aaron with a black and white snake wound around it. Simply staring at this picture is of course not sufficient. On the other hand, we should not speculate about it for very long, since this would draw us out of the meditation. As we come further, the premature appearance of a feeling can become an obstacle. We can feel ourselves, so to speak, divided up into the very different beings that worked on us in earlier times. We must very carefully protect ourselves from devoting ourselves to these feelings too soon. Again, adversarial spirits interfere, spirits that want to draw us entirely to themselves. And instead of winding up in the world of the spirit, we land in the world of illusions. An effective occult means of fighting against this is the imagination of the black cross with seven red roses. From the cross, death arises new life. A person should read one book twenty-five times rather than five books five times. When we lift ourselves up to the hierarchies, we are taken hold of by them. In the final analysis, self-greed is developed unless love for all beings balances it out. When we are taken hold of even by the best higher beings, we lose ourselves unless we develop courage and selflessness. Filled with and permeated by the Christ principle, we can venture the jump over the abyss. Spiritual beings take hold of us and use us in order to work in the world, just as we use our eyes. Something in the human being is drawn together and is hardened when thinking of the moon. One feels the spiritual working on one when looking at the sun. Sun rays are the deeds of high-standing spiritual beings. 
They come about through deeds, that is, the effects are their deeds. Development of the sixteen-petaled lotus flower distributed over the weekdays. Number one, the way in which one acquires ideas. Number two, affects decisions. Number three, speech must be rich in content. Number four, regulating external actions. Number five, the arrangement of the whole. Number six, the striving of the human being. Number seven, the striving to learn from life. Number eight, looking within ourselves. We must imagine the higher I or self so that this, our higher self, observes our ordinary self as an object standing opposite us. The end of that esoteric lesson. Esoteric lesson given in Helsinki on April 14, 1912. Manuscript from an unknown person, the Freda Collection. Those who begin with exoteric exercises should not expect that visions will immediately appear before them. It certainly could happen, but it is neither usual nor desirable. Readers aside, again, that word exoteric may possibly uh, be incorrect, and it might be esoteric, end of readers aside. The normal course is that the feeling and thought world of the esoteric student should be brought first into harmony with the spiritual world. Only when this has happened and the esoteric students feel in harmony with the ocean of the spiritual world will they see figures of light arising out of this world which are then formed into specific shapes. However, it can happen that esotericists immediately begin to experience visions. These are then a consequence of their previous lives, when they were either esotericists or were influenced by a religion that worked with ceremonies, rituals, or cultists, as was the case with all ancient religions. Then the visions are something atavistic and are a great danger, because they appear with violence and overwhelm the esotericist for they arose without the individual's involvement. For this reason, it is better if they do not appear. Esotericists should rather pay attention to the changes that take place in their souls. Last time I already spoke about one of these changes, that through the exercises, thoughts become so much more powerful and therefore influence other people so much more. For this reason, if they are not entirely pure and correct, they are taken away from us by the guardian of the threshold, and we are led to unconsciousness, so that we do not thereby injure others and ourselves. The effects that come from the exercises will now be described in a somewhat different way. The first is that thoughts become looser, That is, while earlier a specific thought would immediately follow a specific perception, and this thought was connected to another thought by itself, now this does not happen the same way. Esotericists do not feel so certain and are no longer as quick in their judgments and in the connections they make between thoughts. What earlier gave them certainty in their thoughts and judgments 
was what came from their education, from social conditions, environment, that is, from the angels, archangels, and spirits of personality, which work in all aspects of culture. We are gradually being released from this guidance. Our angel, our leader, no longer inspires us directly and unconsciously with thoughts and judgments. However, if this loosening of thoughts for human beings goes too far, then it could become dangerous. For this reason, the guardian of the threshold intervenes and hinders the progress of this development. The means to prevent this, on the other hand, is the acquisition of a love of truth so absolute that not even in one's thoughts can anything arise that contains the possibility that it might be untrue. The second effect that comes from the exercises concerns our feelings and will impulses. Esotericists also see these changing. They feel that they rule over these impulses less than before. If they were perhaps cautious in the past, they now sense how a feeling or a will impulse immediately arises in them in reaction to something that affects them. This too must not be allowed to go too far. If that happens, then, for our sake, the guardian of the threshold does not allow us to go on into the spiritual world. The third effect is that the false attitudes that an esotericist can develop not only take hold of his or her soul, but also work into the physical body. If a perversity unconsciously continues to work in the ground of the soul, it becomes much more destructive than if it were to express itself in an illness that could be healed with physical means. For this reason, in these cases, the guardian of the threshold assigns some minor illness to us, which we should regard as a sign, a warning, concerning what is working in our soul. In a well-guided esoteric development, this must not be allowed to become a serious illness, otherwise the esotericist would be too strongly assaulted. In ancient times when souls were more robust, and only people with much inner strength and courage for life were accepted to become esoteric students, these dangers were also greater and often became extreme. That is, the loosening of thoughts proceeded as far as madness, destruction, and the illnesses led to death. This is what is expressed in the tale from the ancient Hebrew mysteries which was given to every esotericist as a warning the tale of the four rabbis who sought to enter, quote, the garden of joy, close quote. The first became mad, the second destroyed everything through his raving madness, the third died, and the fourth alone was admitted and entered the spiritual world. The end of that esoteric lesson. Esoteric lesson given in Berlin, April 24, 1912. Record A, manuscript from Rudolf Meyer, Record B, anonymous manuscript from the Freda collection. Record C, manuscript from Louis Classon. Record D, manuscript from Nelly Lichtenberg. In the previous lesson, an imagination was placed before our souls that released forces in our souls in its own way and can be a help to us on our esoteric path. Today, two inspiring thoughts are to be placed before your soul that can be effective in the same way.
That is what is essential in such thoughts, such questions, that we allow them to rest a while in our souls, that we allow them to speak to us without our touching them. Exoterically, we have spent enough time with these thoughts, admittedly in a very different sense, so that they have led people to the most impossible commentaries and disputations. Considered esoterically, they are a help for esoteric students. The first of these inspiring thoughts is that of, quote, the motherless human being, close quote, or better expressed, quote, the motherless being of a human being, close quote, which is called Adam in the ancient biblical text. All that comes to meet us as human beings is unthinkable without being born of a mother. The only motherless human being is Adam. Only the father forces were at work in him. Of course, we must not imagine Adam as a physical, sensible being. For the physical conditions of today were not present at that time on planet Earth when Yahweh created the first Earth being in his etheric body. And indeed, he created him out of the substances of planet Earth, just as this is indicated in the Bible. These substances are still today present in every human being, so that we can say Yahweh is also our father, and the planet is the mother of us all. The forces of the Father then still continue to work in human beings. They are a force bound to the earth, a planetary force. They work in everything that is on the earth, thus also in human beings. It is not just the forces of the mother that continue to work on the child after conception, but also the forces of the father. They proceed from the earth, guided by the father to the child, and create upbuilding forces that are present in their strongest effects up to the 33rd year of life. Let us be clear. What actually happens when a new human being is born? The mother bears one part in herself, but the other part is suprasensory and invisible and is connected to the father. Put yourself meditatively into this thought of a motherless human being. Try to take hold of this thought purely spiritually and place right next to it a second image, that of the fatherless Christ. If the planetary forces coming from the Father are predominantly active until the mystery of Golgotha, then from this point in time onward, the forces of the cosmos, the mother forces, are added. We know that this most important of all earthly events falls in the fourth cultural epoch of post-Atlantean times. Preceding it was the Egyptian cultural epoch, in which the Egyptian mysteries of the Isis cultus were cultivated in their highest perfection. The Egyptians revered the forces of nature that are expressed in all minerals, plants and animals. But the Egyptian soul, full of sadness, full of the deepest sorrow, looked at the human being and said to itself that the human being was not actually conscious of these nature forces. For this reason the human being portrayed Isis as veiled, and it was said that no mortal was ever allowed to lift the veil in order to reach Isis. What does this mean? Nothing more than that the goddess did not dwell in the physical world, but rather in the astral world, 
and that only those who have stepped through the portal of death can recognize and know her. No one alive could lift her veil. This means that the effects of the forces of Isis were not available to the living. And what were these Isis forces? They were the pure forces of the Mother, which before the mystery of Golgotha were available to human beings only in the spiritual world, that is, when they had walked through the gate of death. Knowledge of this was present in the Egyptian mysteries. Above the picture of Isis stood the words, quote, I am the I am, who I was, who I will be, close quote. The same, quote, Asia Asher Asia, close quote, that was once spoken to Moses from the burning bush. The Egyptian soul could only look with a foreshadowing perception toward the mystery of Golgotha, through which the pure mother forces were to become active also for living human beings. Only when Christ Jesus, the fatherless human being, had united completely with the earth when he crossed the threshold of death, only from this time on can the pure forces of the mother, the forces from the cosmos, work within human beings on the earth. Let modern scholars smile when they look with their narrow-minded perspective at the animal worship of the Egyptians. We can only be filled with the deepest reverence, for we know that behind their worship was hidden the veneration of these nature forces that were closed to human beings. And with profound admiration we look at the lofty wisdom that lay under all these mysteries. Let us ask what the effect is of these two forces in the human being, the forces of the Father, which are from the earth and are guided to the child through the detour of the Father, work constructively, bringing their forces until the thirty-third year. Although, if the forces that strive downward, the forces of the mother, are already at work in the human being, the father forces, nevertheless, are the stronger until this point in time. If only the forces that strive downward, the forces of Christ, would predominate in human beings, then they would not incarnate on the earth. If, on the other hand, only the forces that strive upward, the planetary forces, would predominate, then they would always live on the earth, then there would be no death. That which was Isis in the Egyptian mysteries, this holy center of forces, is presented to us in Christianity as the Mary Sophia of John's Gospel. The union of the rising and descending forces that occurred at the mystery of Golgotha first made it possible that the human being can now also feel the mother forces between birth and death. Christ Jesus could not have become any older than 33 years. From the point of view of occultists, at 33 years of age all human beings have actually reached the point that they are carrying their body as a corpse around with them. Of course, the effects of these forces and the changes they bring do not appear all at once, but rather occur gradually. Both also the mother forces are in the human being from the start, but the father forces predominate, that is, the constructive, upbuilding forces of the father. 
In this time of the Father Forces, we live life as it is karmically determined by our previous lives. However, from the time that the dying down forces, the mother forces predominate, we create, through these spiritual forces, what we will be able to live out only in the next life, that is, the karma of our next lifetime. The father forces, or the constructive nature forces, work in us without our involvement. On the other hand, we ourselves must work and strive in the spiritual realm so that the mother forces become conscious within us. We must become conscious of these sublime, lofty forces, for they are the power that flows directly from Christ into us. Again, as so often happens, the significance of the Rosicrucian verse is revealed to us in a foreboding of its depths. We are born out of the divine, ex deonasimur. The power of Adam, of the motherless child, works in a constructive way to maintain the physical body. On the other hand, since the mystery of Golgotha, the fatherless human being is effective. Christ Jesus, the dying power, the power that leads to the dying of the physical body here on earth, that awakens the spiritual life to the extent that we consciously devote ourselves to it. Quote, in Christ we die. Close quote. That is, we die with all our physical concepts to the lower self that was built up in us during the time that the atom forces were active in us. Thus the last sentence of the Rosicrucian verse is brought to a true experience. Quote, In the Holy Spirit we are reborn. Close quote. End of record A. Record B. An aid to understanding what was given here the last time can be added. It consists of two mighty pictures concerning which, unfortunately, there has been much debate in the evolution of humanity. The first picture is that of the motherless human being. In the Bible, it is indicated to us in the picture of Adam, who did indeed have a father but no mother. The father formed him out of the dust of the earth. That means out of forces that are contained in the earth. Thus, there is something in every human being that is not visible, that is a system of forces that belongs to the earth, that is not directly given by the cooperation between the sexes or through inheritance, but rather it is what the Divine Father gives to him or her on the detour path of the fatherly organism. Father and mother both give something suprasensory, except that what comes through the mother is bound to the organism of her body, while what comes through the father on the detour through the fatherly organism will come directly out of the forces of the earth. Only this last was present in Adam. He was the motherless human being. We have the opposite of this in the fatherless Christ, or Christ Jesus. Already in the third post-Atlantean epoch, which preceded the appearance of Christ, we find the figure of Isis, which reminds us of the appearance of the Madonna, but is nevertheless different. It is the veiled Isis, concerning whom the Egyptians felt, quote, no mortal has ever lifted her veil, close quote. That means during life no human being can reach what Isis expresses. 
She represents the spiritual forces that have not yet descended to the earth, which can only be found in spiritual worlds. Egyptians saw these heavenly forces at work in the kingdoms of nature around them, therefore the worship of animals. But they knew that these forces worked only after death. Only then can human beings participate in these forces that belong to heaven. In the fourth post-Atlantean epoch, forces descended into humanity that had never before worked into a human being. And even if we cannot say that Sophia Maria, the mother of Christ Jesus, was Isis, nevertheless she represents Isis, because in her, for the first time, and then in other people, heavenly forces worked on earth, which since that time unite with the fatherly forces coming from the earth with the help of the motherly organism. Thus, what the Egyptians felt would be reachable only after death has since that time come to earth. Thus has the kingdom of heaven come to earth, and the veil of Isis can be lifted through those who have the power of Christ within them. This is the resurrection of the third epoch in the fifth. Theosophists can understand this if they pay attention to the dichotomy in human nature. There are two kinds of forces working in human nature, descending and ascending. If only the first kind existed in human beings, they would never be able to descend to earth. They would have to remain in the spiritual world. If only the ascending forces were in them, they would never be able to leave the physical world once they had arrived. Parenthesis, an example of the descending forces appearing alone is seen in the group souls of animals. For this reason, they cannot descend to the physical plane. Close parenthesis. Both of these forces are at work in the human being, indeed in such a way that at first the ascending forces predominate. This goes until approximately the 33rd or 35th year then the descending forces predominate. This is also the reason why Christ had to die in his 33rd year. The descending forces worked in him, those of heaven that could no longer hold him on earth. The ascending forces were at work in Adam, but of course not these alone. So too in the human being both forces are also present, but one kind of force predominates over the other. Thus at first in the evolution of humanity, ascending forces are revealed in Adam, the earthly forces that are given to Adam from the Divine Father, and then the descending forces in Christ, the fatherless human being. Until our thirty-third year we carry the forces of Adam in us. By the thirty-third year we have developed everything that the earth can give us. Then we have everything within us that will be given back to the earth, fire. What we still develop after this happens through the power of Christ, which constantly increases as our body deteriorates. It is the Buddha thought that wants to break the connection with the earth, that wants to seek heavenly forces in a sphere outside the earth. It is the Christ thought that wants to experience these forces here on the earth. 
Thus we can feel that Adam must die in us so that Christ can live in us. This is expressed in another way by our verse, Ex Deo nascimur, in Christo morimur, per spiritum sanctum revivissimus. The end of record B. Record C. Aside from the last exercise, or combined with it, there are two thoughts that can bring an esotericist further. One is the thought of motherless Adam, who was created by the Divine Father Principle, by Yahweh. The forces that are the ascending forces, the forces that work in the physical body and come from the earth, the human being receives by means of a detour through the fatherly part of the body. These forces work until the middle of a person's life by building up the body, approximately until the 35th year. If human beings had only this power, then they would never leave the earth at death. The other forces which we get from our mother come from the spiritual soul world, from out of the cosmos, and these are the destructive forces. If these forces were the only forces working in us, we would never even be able to be born on the earth. This is the fatherless Christ. Before the Christian era, these forces did not flow into humanity, yet they worked on human beings only in the time between death and a new birth. They were present on earth only in the three lower kingdoms. This the Egyptians knew, that the Isis power could certainly be found in the mineral plant and animal kingdoms. There they could be found, but not in human beings between birth and death. Hence the profound meaning of the Egyptians' animal gods. For the first time these forces flowed through the Virgin Sophia Maria into Jesus of Nazareth. For this reason Jesus Christ had to die when he was 33 years old, because the destructive forces began to work, because the Adam forces were present in him in such a weakened state, and the Christ force was so strong that he could not stay on the earth any longer. We are born from God with the forces of Adam. We die in Christ. And we hope to one day be born again through the Holy Spirit. The end of Record C. Record D. Every Sunday at 9 a.m. in the morning, in the spirit of humanity, I feel myself united with all esotericists. End of that esoteric lesson. Esoteric lesson given in Cologne on May 9, 1912. Record A, Notes from Marie Steiner. Record B, Manuscript from Alice Kinkle. Record A. Through diligent work with esoteric exercises, such as they are described in the book titled How to Know Higher Worlds, and other works, we attain progress in spiritual knowledge and an intensification of spiritual forces. However, we must observe various practical tips that further us. A healthy state of exhaustion need not hinder us in concentrating and carrying out our meditations. On the contrary, nature here takes over some of the task because it dampens the external sense organs and reduces our ability to absorb things from the world of the senses. The goal is to see without the physical eyes, to hear without physical ears, and to think without a physical brain. We can illuminate and warm our being 
with the light-filled thoughts of meditation precisely in a state of physical exhaustion. Abstinence from alcohol is necessary because it works from outside on the blood, interfering with our eye, capital, which is unfolding its own activity in the blood. Meditation draws our spirit upward, loosens the connection with the physical body. Alcohol draws it down and binds it to the body. Eating meat makes the spirit heavy with earth and binds it to the physical, gives the body the opportunity to hang on to the spirit. Vegetarian food confronts the body with greater challenges, so it is busy and cannot hinder the spirit in its work. What else is achieved through abstinence from meat, especially from eating fish? What is bad about eating meat is the enduring effect of causing pain to and killing animals. These martyred animals then return again in the form of beings that turn their power against the bodies of the descendants of those who once killed them. Bacteria are reincarnated animals that were tortured, killed, and eaten. Changes occur in esotericists through their exercises. These are changes that we must pay attention to if injury is to be avoided. There are four points that must be considered in this regard. First of all, the intellect is changed. The train of thought becomes different. So too, judgment and memory. It becomes difficult for esotericists to explain to an ordinary person all the possible logical and everyday reasons for their actions. Such reasons are not at all necessary because in the decisive moment a true esotericist knows what is right to do. However, if we do not pull ourselves together and if we neglect our exercise for thought control, then it can happen to us that our thoughts are confused. There are immature people who force their esoteric development and achieve a certain power over other people. But at the last moment the bolt is slammed shut before they can instigate greater damage. Second, our demeanor, the way in which we present ourselves, speak and our gestures, become different. Here we must have ourselves under control so that our nervous system does not get out of control and we start all kinds of things that are not allowed. Third, the physical body must not be injured by a forced, greedy tempo in esoteric development. Otherwise, in some cases, an acute illness occurs, which is, however, curable and beneficial for the person involved. In the Hebrew mysteries there is a saying, Four seek the path through the gate of the temple, but only one gets through. Only one develops himself in a normal way, through especially consistent and patient action, and reaches the goal. The others who force their esoteric development are injured. From this we see the need for consistent execution of the auxiliary exercises that harmonize and consolidate the entire being of a human being. There is, in abundance, powerful content for meditations, especially in the Bible. 
There are, for example, the words spoken by God in the six days of creation in Genesis. The life of Moses with its many lofty moments, for example, the appearance of Yahweh in the burning bush. The stories from the Gospels, the prologue to John's Gospel, and words such as, quote, I am the light of the world, close quote, and many others. Such an especially effective content is in Paul's first letter to Timothy, chapter 3, verse 16, in the following translation, quote, The mystery of God's path can be known. He who was manifested in the flesh, whose being is, however, spiritual, who is fully knowable to the angels only, nevertheless, who could be preached to the nations, who has life in the faith of the world, he is raised to the sphere of the spirits of wisdom. Close quote. What the bodhisattvas could give to humankind was inspired by the spirits of wisdom. The least of that which radiated from Christ came from the sphere of the hierarchy of the spirits of movement. Christ himself stands above all the hierarchies. He belongs to the Trinity. End of Record A Record B Through esoteric exercises, we want to acquire progress in spiritual knowledge and an intensification of our spiritual forces. We must, however, observe various practical indications that will further us in this esoteric striving. Number one, meditating with great exertion of will and concentration is made necessary by a healthy state of fatigue, which is suitable and useful for this purpose. Nature relieves us of having to carry out one part of the task, since it deadens the external sense organs and diminishes our ability to take up input from the sense world. The goal is, of course, to see without physical eyes, to hear without physical ears, and to think without a physical brain. It is precisely when we are in a state of exhaustion that we can illuminate and warm our being with light-filled thoughts in meditation. Number two, abstinence from alcohol is necessary because it works from the outside upon the eye, capital, which lives in the blood where it expresses itself and unfolds itself. Meditation pulls the spirit upward and loosens the connection with the physical body. Alcohol pulls the spirit downward and hardens and fixes it in the physical body. Number three, what effect does abstaining from eating meat, especially fish, have? What is bad about eating meat is the lasting effects of causing pain and of killing the animal. These martyred animals return again in the form of beings that turn their power against the bodies of the descendants of those who killed them. Bacteria are the reincarnated, tortured, killed, and eaten animals. Besides, eating meat makes the spirit earth-heavy and binds it to the physical and gives the body the opportunity to hang on to the spirit. Vegetarian food places a greater demand upon the physical body so that it is occupied and does not hinder the spirit. Through the exercises, there are changes that take place in esotericists 
in their entire being. They must pay attention to these changes or injury can result. There are four points that come into consideration. Number one, there are changes that take place in the intellect. The train of thoughts becomes different. So too, judgment and memory. It gets difficult for esotericists to explain their actions logically and with ordinary reason to everyday people. Such logical reasons are not at all necessary because in the decisive moment esotericists know what the right thing to do is. They read it right out of the Akashic Chronicle, so to speak. If esotericists do not pull themselves together, if they are lazy in carrying out the thought-control exercise, then it can happen to them that their thoughts get confused. There are immature people who force their esoteric development. However, at the decisive moment, the gates are shut before they can do too much damage. Then they become feeble-minded. Number two, the attitude, the demeanor, the way in which they speak, gesture and act becomes different with esotericists. Here they must have themselves in hand so that the nervous system does not break down and then they do all kinds of impermissible things. Number three, the physical body must not be allowed to be injured through a forced, greedy tempo in esoteric development. Otherwise, in some circumstances, an acute illness will appear, which will be curable and a warning to the one befallen. In the ancient Hebrew mysteries it was said, four seek the way through the gate into the temple, but only one reaches it. Only the one who develops properly, through especially consistent and patient work, reaches the goal. Concerning the other three who force their esoteric development, the first becomes insane, the second wreaks moral devastation, and the third dies. From this we see the necessity for consistent work on the auxiliary exercises which harmonize and consolidate one's whole being. There are valuable and powerful contents for meditation in abundance, especially in the Bible. For example, in the words of creation concerning the six days of creation in Genesis, or in the life of Moses with its many lofty moments, such as the appearance of Yahweh and the burning bush. The stories in the Gospels are also content for meditation. The beginning of John's Gospel or words such as, quote, I am the light of the world, close quote, and many others. One such especially effective passage is found in 1 Timothy 3.16 in the following translation. Add it to your meditations, quote, The mystery of God's path can be known. He who was manifested in the flesh, whose being is, however, spiritual, who is fully knowable to the angels only, nevertheless, who could be preached to the nations, who has life in the faith of the world, he is raised to the sphere of the spirits of wisdom. What the Bodhisattvas could give to humanity was inspired by the spirits of wisdom. The least of what radiated from Christ came from the sphere of the hierarchy of the spirits of wisdom. 
Christ himself stands above all the hierarchies. He belongs to the Trinity. So that all esotericists can find a connection to the esoteric teacher, and so that those who only seldom have an opportunity to hear and speak to Dr. Steiner can also participate, this was said. Every Sunday morning at 9 a.m., you should meditate on the sentence, quote, In the spirit of humanity, I feel myself united with all esotericists. Close quote. The end of that esoteric lesson. Esoteric lesson given in Oslo, formerly known as Christiania, June 7, 1912. Record A, manuscript from Frauke Tittring. Record B, notes from the collection of Elizabeth Freyde. Record C, stenographic notes from Franz Seiler. Record A. Why are you here? From whence comes the urge to know esoteric things? Approximately 4,000 years ago, that is, before the mystery of Golgotha, the etheric body enlivened the physical body in such a way that there were forces left over, in such a way that not all the etheric body's forces were used to permeate the physical body. And one turned to esotericism with these extra forces. One turned to the spiritual worlds. Then, about 3,000 years ago, all etheric bodies were sunk down into the physical body, especially in Greece. And those who were most highly developed in the physical realm felt the spiritual world to be like a kingdom of shadows. Now, however, the physical body no longer absorbs all the forces of the etheric body. It sends them back. It is withering. For we are more than halfway through earth evolution, and we can live only in the spiritual world through these forces that the physical body can no longer absorb. And you have felt this urge toward esotericism, for whom a purely physical life and knowledge is not enough. You have felt these unused forces within you. They have driven you to seek the esoteric life. What is the difference between esoteric and exoteric? In exotericism, we receive communications that are obtained from esotericism as nourishment for our souls. In esotericism, we strive to see into the worlds from which these communications are obtained. It is not merely communications that are given here, but also advice which flows forth from spiritual inspiration. These are not merely words, concepts, ideals, but rather words, concepts, ideals that are permeated with life, with seeds of life that are implanted into our etheric forces and should blossom there. They are realities. They are tested again and again by those whom we call the masters of wisdom and harmony of feelings. Esotericism is a source of life, of forces that flood through the world and should also flow through us. For this reason, Sundays at nine o'clock, when we begin our exercises, it is of the greatest importance that we first create inner peace. This can be achieved through patience, 
The only thing that we have to battle is the thought, quote, I am not yet achieving it, close quote. This thought we should reject as a temptation. No matter how long it takes, the time will come when the horizon of our thoughts is clear. If only we reject, with all the strength of which our will is capable, the thoughts and sense impressions that distract us. We must allow the meditations and symbols to live within us energetically and powerfully. We should not form thoughts about them, but experience them as an inner light. They must take hold of us with power, for they are taken from the unspeakable word that has the power to create. This is the Mahavach of the Indians. It is inspiration from the word that sounds through the spiritual world. It should shine in us like an inner sun. Parenthesis changes in our life situation. Close parenthesis. Then we must create an inner emptiness of everything that rises up out of memory. Even if it is theosophical content, it must be wiped away, suppressed. And we must only wait for what can rise up in our souls, either something entirely new that we never before suspected or heard, or a living vision of occult facts that we received in exoteric life. What we are now told we could find out for ourselves, however, only after twenty-five incarnations. We have the duty to work together with the current state of human evolution as we shorten the path as much as possible. The end of Record A. Record B. What is imparted exoterically has been won esoterically. During esoteric gatherings, advice can be given that can become sources of power for the human being. Four thousand years ago, there was still an excess of etheric forces that were not needed in the physical body. This excess of energy ended in the Roman Greek age. Again, there is now a portion of our etheric forces that does not have access to our physical bodies, that is actually repelled by the physical body and from the physical world. In order to get access to this portion of the etheric body, we have our meditations, concentration or contemplation as an advice giver. This is very important. But no less important is the need also to develop our morality. For this purpose we have the auxiliary exercises. Those who faithfully practice them will notice that they begin to develop morality. What is involved is connecting the streams, the one that comes from outside, with the one in one's own body. The astral body is difficult to overcome, but it is possible. Patience is the only means of doing so. Our motto should be, quote, steady drops hollow out the stone, close quote. Consistent, steady meditations conquer for us the spiritual world sooner or later, according to our karma. At first our experience is very delicate, so that we barely notice it. Only when an exercise is frequently repeated does the experience gradually appear with greater power. The urge to develop oneself is met through those who can give the teachings and the meditations. 
If we wanted to reject all that and develop everything out of ourselves, then perhaps twenty to twenty-five incarnations would be necessary for this purpose. The meditation on, quote, the unrevealed light, close quote, which was spoken of in the lecture cycle, is important, even more important, is the result that can then appear. One drops the content of the meditation, empties oneself completely, and then waits to see what comes. Now, we know that we will experience something new, although we already knew it. Theosophical teachings appear as if new. They become luminous and penetrate our hearts. We feel it like a sun radiating light. Today any child can understand the Pythagorean theorem, but to discover it required a Pythagoras. So receive with gratitude what can accelerate your development, what gives you an advantage. The end of record B. Record C. Number one, prayer of the day, Friday. Number two, concerning exoteric and esoteric communications. Many things are now also already imparted exoterically, which at first were imparted only esoterically. It, esoteric communication, lies in the way we use these things. The esoteric life must be conducted in such a way that it is kept free from all external influences. Everything that can give us cares and worries and all the sensory things that could flow into our meditation must be kept far from our consciousness. Number three. Three things. Three means are put into our hands that should bring us to esoteric experience. Concentration, meditation, and contemplation. What should occupy us in the spirit during these exercises is given to us in certain sentences that have already been tested for a long time. They are not mere words, but are also forces. Number four, no entry. Number five, concerning the theosophical knowledge that we should acquire. We can read in detail about the way these esoteric exercises must be carried out in the book's title, How to Know Higher Worlds, and title, Outline of Esoteric Science. Number six, concerning the various members of the human being, physical body, etheric body, astral body, and I, until now the etheric body has worked on the physical body. But in earlier times there were hidden forces placed in the etheric body which not every human being has been able to use. There remain a large number of forces that can be found in the etheric body that have not been used. Then a time came when these forces had to find a use for higher development. And finally these forces are being weakened more and more all the time. So that a time will come when the physical body will no longer be able to bracket word in manuscript illegible, close bracket. The physical body will gradually dry up in future incarnations, we will have available for our use only increasingly worse bodies. Number seven, the life forces held back earlier are now used for esoteric development. Without this earlier savings, 
which is now available to us, it would be impossible for us to spiritually ascend now. Number 8. No entry. Number 9. No entry. Number 10. Concerning the life forces that have been gathered together. Number 11. No entry. Number 12. Concerning the significance of the words of meditation that have been given to us. They have been brought down from spiritual worlds and contain genuine spiritual forces, forces of inspiration. When we use them properly and allow them to work in us, they open in our souls the possibility of unfolding the power of inspiration. Number 13. Then the forces that we need for our development stream to us out of spiritual worlds. Number 14. The chief demand on us, indeed the first, is that we produce a mood in our souls of inner calm. With all our might, we must strive to learn how to achieve this inner calm. Everything that comes into our souls from the external world must be kept far away. It is indeed difficult, but we must achieve it. For all the disturbances that come from the world, pictures, sounds, feelings and sensations, confuse the soul, so that the spiritual is not perceptible to us. 15. If we achieve inner peace, then the spiritual world is also opened for us. Spiritual forces are already at work in many of us, but we just don't know it, because we simply do not have this inner calmness of soul and attention. Number 16. However, if we do have it, then spiritual experiences will flow to us out of the spiritual world. Number 17. No entry. Number 18. When we can then perceive these forces within us, then at first we will have in us a bracket word illegible close bracket world. Number 19. This world is summed up and concentrated within us. 20. It must, however, be expanded constantly wider and wider. Number 21. Then we will recognize and perceive in the light and in other appearances, forms, shapes, streams. Number 22, no entry. Number 23, just one word, goal. Number 24, example of Pythagoras with his Pythagorean theorem. It required the entire genius of Pythagoras to discover the theorem. Today it is taught in all schools, and boys and girls understand it. 25. It is similar with esoteric tasks. There are things that are brought down from spiritual worlds, and if we use them we will advance in our development, even if we do not at first notice it. It is true that one could arrive at the same goal, even without use of these resources, but then it would require several incarnations in order to reach the goal, which we can reach in a single lifetime. 26. Thus we have the obligation to use these resources in order then, once advanced in development, to be useful to humankind. Number 27. No entry. Number 28. No entry. Number 29. The repetition of the exercises is what is most important. Quote, steady drops hollow the stone. Close quote. Even if it is very difficult at first, we will increasingly discover 
that one great day we complete the exercises and the result of this we will have before us. Number 30. Unity with all esotericists. For this reason, every morning at nine o'clock we should immerse ourselves in the thought, quote, in the spirit of humanity, I am united with all esotericists of the world. Close quote. In this way, we achieve harmony with all and experience a significant inflow of power. Number 31, the Rosicrucian verse. Number 32, the Rosicrucian conclusion. In the spirit lies the seed of my body. End of Esoteric Lesson Esoteric Leaven given in Oslo, Christiania, June 9, 1912 Record A, Notes from the Collection of Elizabeth Freda Record B, Manuscript from Frauke Tittering Record A Last time the inner reasons were explained why one is in the school. Today we will speak more about the external conditions. The very first characteristic that a person needs is honesty, the will to be true, that the Theosophical Society is an effluence from the teachings of the Masters of Wisdom and Harmony of Feelings, does not need to be explained any further. This stands firm. Time does not allow for an explanation of why. The evolution of humanity simply calls for it. But faith in a Master must never be obligatory. Those who conscientiously follow the path will definitely be led to him, at least to the concept, to the faith, to the knowledge that he exists. However, if this were a condition from the outset, then it would be a lie. The existence of the Master should be recognized out of inner reason. The truth can already be found from what can be conveyed exoterically, and thus the path can be found from the exoteric teachings to esoteric teachings. Any esoteric teachings that would require faith, faith in the Masters, is not an esoteric teaching. Teaching, but not only teaching, should be given to students. They should discover forces in themselves, forces that are already present. They should learn how to use them. They simply do not know that they have them. For what purpose does the school exist? Advice is given in order to move ahead more quickly and easily because humanity needs this. It is, however, unavoidable that in so doing an appeal is made to people's egotism. For this reason we have the auxiliary exercises to fight what is added to the substance of one's ego. If these exercises are neglected, then inevitably ambition and vanity will appear in the student. We should see these in ourselves. When we are together, we should always watch ourselves, but always ascribe honesty and conscientiousness to everyone else. We should not ascribe ambition or pride to those who stand up and present something, but rather start with ourselves. Those who praise others to high heaven injure themselves and the others. We should always remain sober and allow only pure reason to speak. From what is given exoterically, we should let the truth speak within us. We should experience the truth out of it. 
When people dedicate themselves with all their power to meditation, then the ability to think and memory disappear. This should happen. But in everyday life they should work all the better. As a consequence of improperly carried out meditations, megalomania may appear, or the illusion that others are afflicted by delusions of grandeur, or also a reduction in one's memory or reasoning powers altogether can happen. To oppose this, one should strive for honesty as a matter of duty. We should observe ourselves, study theosophy, and strive not only to be truthful ourselves, but we should investigate the truth in all that comes to meet us. There is an old Jewish story. Four rabbis wanted to enter the Garden of Paradise. The first becomes insane, that is, loses his mind. The second goes mad, that is, no longer acts with measured reason. The third dies, he succumbs to illness. This can never happen with our exercises. The fourth alone can enter the garden. He achieves the, quote, love of nature, close quote, as a good consequence of his efforts. This is not intended to be on a majestic scale, such as is found with people who can enjoy only mighty seas or high mountains, which would correspond to a striving for sensation. But rather we experience this love also with the small and insignificant things. Those things are also the work of the gods. They are happy with their surroundings and carried it down into the physical world in order to make human beings happy. Such feelings are also at work in human beings. Everything that is in the human being will come out one day and become manifest, even if only in a later incarnation. One should never reveal anything of the previous incarnations of leading personalities within one hundred years of their last death. If it happens here or there, then only as information imparted to a trusted smaller circle, but never publicly as Annie Besant is now doing. Personally, I, Dr. Steiner, would much rather say everything is good and true within the Theosophical Society, but that would not be in keeping with my obligation to truthfulness. When one comes into contact with occult sects, it is always possible that occult progress occurs in that sect. But the question is, how does it enter the spiritual world? On the correct path, one becomes increasingly humble, one becomes more and more modest. All that has been said here, you should let work on your feelings, You should not act the same way one acts when one is carrying out busy work. You should not be, in quotes, busy in the search for truth, but be able to calmly wait for it. The end of Record A. Record B. There are conditions that must be met for an esoteric life, which are fundamental. There are means to an end, and one such is truth not only to be truthful, but to seek truth. When the Theosophical Society was founded, it originally stood under a very favorable star. The time had come when it was necessary for the knowledge that earlier had been imparted to small circles only and was obtained from sources that are not accessible to all of humanity 
to be made accessible to all of humanity. It would lead too far to discuss the inner reasons for this change. Thus those who took it upon themselves to impart this knowledge were placed in an uncommonly difficult situation. They had to convey the impulses that flow from such sources to the requirement of our age, which allows only knowledge that is understandable to the common man or woman. That is, on the one hand, they have to make accessible to everyone knowledge that until now was not accessible, and on the other hand, they must meet the modern condition that knowledge be universally accessible to every human being. The impulses were conveyed by means of the familiar three fundamental principles. Let us consider these. The principles should be observed in such a way that no one in the entire world should be excluded from this movement. The first principle fulfills this requirement to form the seed of a universal brotherhood of humanity that recognizes the universal humanity of everyone without distinction of nationality, race, color, or sex. Today everyone can subscribe to this. And how could we understand our fellow human beings unless we deepened ourselves in their way of thinking, their faith? Hence the second principle. But someone will say, the third principle excludes one type of human being, namely materialists. But is this really the case? You see, the most important principle that permeates our movement like a light motive is no confession, no faith, supersedes the truth. We should strive for truth. We should investigate it. Now, no human being who has honestly researched the occult world has ever rejected it. This has never happened. Also, materialists, if they research it, will not do that. However, if they refuse to do this research, well, then, they are not seeking any truth, but rather opinion, confession, faith. Does this principle exclude anyone? No, because everyone will agree that we should strive for truth. In none of these principles is faith made into a precondition, not even faith in the source from which this movement has flowed, and at this hour is still flowing. As firmly as any knowledge can be rooted in a soul, just that firmly is the knowledge rooted that is indicated as the masters of wisdom and harmony of feelings. But each one of you is free to agree with this or to reject it, If you go through the esoteric school, you will find the way to them. But I would encumber the way for you. I would place the greatest hindrances imaginable in your path if I were to demand an unconditional faith in such masters as a precondition for entrance into this school. The least deceptive sign that every esoteric school has rooted within it which shows on their foreheads, is that it demands no faith of any kind, not even in the Master. Aside from esoteric schools, the only one Master accessible to all of humanity is Christ, and no faith is demanded of Him either, for that is a matter for the intimate private life of every human being and is based upon bracket text missing, close bracket,
And if you ever encounter a pseudo-esoteric school, then find out right away if any particular faith is required at the outset. And if this is the case, then know that it has nothing to do with the truth. I will say this with even more precision, so that you are very clear about what I am saying. When you encounter such a school, it is not rooted in those whom we know as the masters of wisdom and harmony of feelings. I have tried to find words to express something that could touch you in a certain way. I would like to keep distant from this school all those who approach it only out of personal authority. The day before yesterday we discussed the inner reasons why one becomes an esotericist. What should be the external reason that makes you into an esotericist? Not support from authority, but testing with reason. You are a part of humanity. You can thank human evolution, human culture, that you can think in an ordered fashion and draw conclusions. Those who have studied occult truths in esoteric books and tested them using their reasoning abilities and found them to be true and reasonable, those people come here with the trust that additional truth will also be shown them, and no one should enter here with any other assumptions. However, when people enter here, they tear themselves out of their ordinary connection with humanity. They separate themselves from the total course of humanity in order to significantly accelerate their development. This is, of course, let us be completely clear about it, an egotistical action, for which there will have to be compensation. But if a person says, quote, I do not want this egotistical action, I wish only to help, only to serve, close quote, is he or she acting any less egotistically? Or know how humanity, how the world is best helped? To speak this way is arrogance. Here we should learn what is the best way for us to serve. You must only have faith in yourselves that you already have within you the forces that you need to bring forth. You are not coming here in order to receive something so that something can be given to you, but in order to bring forth what is already within you. We see this in the auxiliary exercises, serenity, positivity, and so forth. But your trust must not be a false trust. You certainly have the power, but you must say to yourselves that until now you have not used it, not observed it enough. Now you will apply it always better and better. You will achieve the goal if you apply the means sufficiently. And you should not cross the threshold of this temple with arrogance and pride. It would not be the correct attitude for you to come expecting to receive something that others do not have and only wanting to raise yourself above others. No, we should come in the spirit of humility as we say to ourselves, quote, My weaknesses drive me here because my forces need a support that I find here. For this reason I cross the threshold. Close quote. That would be the right attitude. For from the earliest times forward there has never been anything taught in an esoteric school that was not also taught in an exoteric context. 
It corresponds entirely to the facts if I say, for example, that everything that is said here in the evenings hides occult forces that can lead human beings into the occult world if what is said is processed in the soul with complete dedication and energy. If people use all their energy to listen to these things, not only as a theory, but to evaluate them practically, then they are esotericists. But because people think that they are too weak to do this, for this reason they seek support for their forces, seek advice and help in this esoteric school. Here one is helped to shorten the path. One could ask, quote, How far should I surrender myself to this egotism? Where should I stop? Close quote. The gods will take care of this. They are good at showing us when too much arrives. They show us this first in the soul. For this reason, self-observation is necessary. Ongoing attention paid to oneself. If, for example, someone flies into a rage at his exercises, it will happen he also loses his memory for ordinary things in life. That this should happen is entirely correct. It must be so if something higher is to appear. But we should not let ourselves go and have less memory and be less truthful than our fellow human beings. We should have much, much more memory and be much, much more truthful than our fellow human beings. It is not sufficient for us to remain as truthful as we were before. We must always be growing more truthful. We should fight for our memory. We must not say something later that we can say only because what happened earlier was covered over or because we do not want to remember. And for this reason the auxiliary exercises were given. They should work to balance us. Once again, some advice. Watch out for vanity and ambition in yourself and also in others. We are not strong enough to do everything by ourselves. We must help one another. Give no one a reason to be vain or to have ambition. Nourish joy and courage by allowing the goodness in others to come to the fore in the fullest measure but do not give them blind trust that cannot be justified. Give no faith to any authority, but rather use your thinking reason to test. Many who have occupied leading positions have already failed when an appeal was made to their vanity. Indeed, it is dangerous if they have even only an iota of vanity. End of Esoteric Lesson Esoteric Lesson Given in Oslo, Christiania, June 11, 1912 Manuscript from Frauke Tittring It has already become clear to you in the previous discussions that if you devote yourselves in an earnest and worthy fashion to your meditations, then certain effects will appear. An honest, conscientious self-observation is necessary if you want to notice certain consequences in a timely fashion. However, this self-observation must not be carried out in such a way that it degenerates into self-satisfaction. This is a great danger for an esotericist. The exercises will certainly have their effects. 
But if certain inclinations are already present in the constitution of your soul, such as arrogance and so forth, then the meditations will have a deleterious effect on you. These inclinations are present in everyone, but in ordinary life megalomania is soon corrected by external events. There we quickly notice that there is much that we cannot do, even though we may have imagined we could. In the occult life, these correcting perceptions do not show up as directly. Thus we must apply strict self-discipline in order to avoid the danger of arrogance. The second danger consists of untruthfulness, when reason and memory become worse, and these finally degenerate into uncontrolled actions. The preventive measures against these evils are found in the auxiliary exercises, in the study of theosophy, and in the joy we find in nature. Willing, feeling, and thinking are strengthened by them. Through the study of theosophy, one's thinking, reason is exercised. For it is not enough to accept everything on authority and faith. This would bring about a complete loss of our reasoning capacity and finally of our morality. Then we would be inclined to mollify our conscience with reference to and ultimately deference to authority. We should test everything using our reason, our thinking. This is why everything is cast in concepts and words that one can understand and that appeal to one's reason. Theosophy should be grounded in thinking. Love of the beauty of nature. Enjoy small things. The materialistic people of today demand only sensational experiences, experiencing nature only when it appears as a majestic ocean or majestic mountains. You should be able to experience the beauty that can be found everywhere. Human beings for whom higher worlds have been opened should not close themselves off from the external world. They should not criticize nature without sympathy, but rather get to know it. They should attempt to understand it. Then every little animal can teach them something. A person should not say, quote, It is only Maya. Close quote. The response to that person should be, quote, Yes, it is only Maya but Maya of the gods, and that is beautiful. Why can a human being today rejoice in a tree? Because the gods once rejoiced in what was in their surroundings. It would be very bad for the future if human beings were to walk apathetically through the world indifferent to it. They would leave behind a world without joy. Not only for themselves, but also for others, something will come forth in the future out of the joy that we feel for small things. Here it is true that all that is hidden will be revealed. These three things should work in a healthy way on thinking, feeling, and willing. In ancient Hebrew mysticism, the consequences of entrance into the Garden of Paradise were expressed in drastic terms. In ancient times, people were much more robust than today, and the exercises were also much more drastic than those customarily given to the nervous people of today. We must learn to suppress nervous anxiety, 
and therefore also not shy away from hearing about the dangers of an esoteric schooling. The ancient Hebrews told of the four rabbis who entered the Garden of Paradise. The first became insane, a megalomaniac. The second became wild and did crazy things. The third died. This is dramatically expressed to point out the bodily difficulties that can appear with esotericists as a consequence of moral and intellectual faults. This also occurs with ordinary people, but not so directly. But they do not know, for example, of the connection between lying and illness. Esotericists make their bodies much more receptive. In all illness and infirmity, they should also see a warning from the gods that something is not in order. Then they should be once again attentive and careful. The human being should say only what is true, what has been tested. It is not sufficient to say, quote, I said it in good faith, close quote. That is not enough. Something else that esotericists should never use is the expression, quote, I can't help it, close quote. That is a denial of karma and helps not at all, because karma will hold sway. We should stand up for our deeds and improve them. It would be easy to say, and certainly sensational to do so, that my school is inspired, just as it is as a matter of fact, but that is no concern of the outer world. There we must appeal to reason, so that people understand what is said. For this reason we must write in such a way that it strikes the human understanding as reasonable. There is no use in claiming inspiration or offering a young man's book to the world while proclaiming that it is inspired by a master of wisdom. If esotericists from other schools object that they also enter into other worlds, then we must be clear that it is not really very important what we see, rather how we enter those worlds is significant. One can be a very lofty seer, and yet see everything wrong. When esotericists from other schools hear this, they will, as so often happens, say, bracket, manuscript unclear here, close bracket. But we must expose ourselves to this accusation because we stand up for the truth. The end of that esoteric lesson. Esoteric lesson given in Munich on September 1st, 1912. Record A, manuscript from Barbara Wolf. Record B, anonymous manuscript from the Fleda collection. Record C, manuscript from Alice Kinkle. Record D, notes from the collection of Elizabeth Fleda. Record E, notes from Bella Lang. Record A. Esotericists must pay attention to many things that are entirely without significance for an exotericist. Thus they must constantly bear in mind that they can speak only of relative truth, that as an esotericist one cannot speak of eternal truths at all. Our wishes constantly mix in with our striving, and we must say to ourselves that we always prefer to accept a truth that pleases us rather than a truth that is unappealing to us. For example, the thought of immortality is as such much more appealing to most people than the idea that everything is over with death. 
Thus, for this reason alone, they are more inclined to accept the idea of immortality as the truth. But esotericists must not do this. They should exclude their wishes, their personal feelings, and then carry out their research. Our meditations are given to us for this purpose, in which we should spiritually rest, as it were, upon a specific content of thought. It is not so important that we think through the meditation. Rather, we should allow our souls to rest within it. Then, through this constant repetition, our soul forces are strengthened. The inclination to believe in absolute eternal truths and to defend them is a characteristic of our consciousness soul. Now, it is possible that the consciousness soul gets the upper hand to such an extent that it no longer rules these thoughts, but rather is ruled by them and pours them out into the outer world. We have an expression for this in occultism. We refer to this kind of consciousness soul with these ideas as the, quote, inner Sadducee, close quote. We all bear an inner Sadducee in us, and esotericists have the obligation to feel this and conduct themselves accordingly. Parenthesis, for example, when Goethe posthumously was asked how one should interpret his work, he said, quote, Explain me out of my spirit, not with the same words that I spoke. St. Martin, posthumously, once said, quote, I have many disciples, however they usually spread my errors further. Close quote, close parenthesis. The intellectual soul or mind soul can also bear within it something like a second person. Indeed, when a person wants to take a truth that has been personally recognized and set it as a universally valid truth, People do this out of a certain feeling of shame because they do not want to say, quote, I have recognized this truth through this or that experience. It is therefore for me a truth. Close quote. They would rather set it forth as a universally valid truth. Occultism has a word for this. Quote, Pharisee. Close quote. The inner Pharisee is the intellectual soul that asserts its power in this direction. This inner obsession to convert personal truths into universal truths often results in hypocrisy and dishonesty. In our inner striving for truth, we can also allow the sentient soul to acquire too much sway. This happens in all those who would rather wallow in feelings rather than take into themselves the teaching of the evolution of the world and inwardly digest this teaching. They would rather immerse themselves in a tauler or another mystic of the Middle Ages and decline everything else. Since the sentient soul is relatively distant from the consciousness soul, it does not express its mistakes in as unpleasant a manner as the consciousness soul does. Nevertheless, it is a mistake when esotericists turn away from everything that the external world can teach in order to seek truth only in inner immersion. This way of allowing the sentient soul to predominate is called in esotericism the, quote, inner Essene, close quote. Now, one could make the objection, quote, but an Essene is something good, close quote. <laughs> 
certainly he or she is. But the spiritual leader who founded this order actually knew at what location, at what time, and in what way it had to be instituted so that it would be something that could heal the world. This is the main thing to recognize in esoteric striving, which is the correct truth for the specific time in question. The Buddha knew this very well when he brought his teaching to India 600 years before Christ. The same teaching transplanted to another time does not have the same effect. All important is the question, how is something to be made effective? There are nodal points in the spiritual worlds at specific times, when from the highest worlds above us, spiritual forces work down into the world that lies directly above us. Just such a time is now present, and the great initiates cannot pull these forces down from higher realms. Only the Christ can do this through having passed through the mystery of Golgotha. But the great initiates, Buddha, Pythagoras, Zarathustra, and so forth, gather around Christ and allow themselves to be influenced by his forces. They do this whether or not they are incarnated in a physical body or are abiding in the spiritual world, and they work out of the Spirit of Christ. We should bring these three people who indwell us the Sadducee, the Pharisee, and the Essene, into an harmonious relationship. For any one of them working alone is damaging. The Pharisee should serve the Sadducee, and these two together should serve the Essene. This one should rule over the two, but must not be allowed to rule alone. As esotericists, we should really get a feeling for the fact that we have all three within us. For when we approach the guardian of the threshold, we will feel them very clearly. We must leave them behind as something from the past that does not belong in the spiritual world. If it is objected that Essenes are very much concerned precisely with the spiritual world, then we say that they are concerned with it in a way that is appropriate for them in the physical world. But their entire order was founded for the physical world and for a specific point on the earth. And in spiritual worlds, an entirely different point of view serves as a starting point. When we stand before God with these three deficiencies, which we feel as nakedness, then we have the feeling of shame as Adam and Eve had when they stood before God in their nakedness. Therefore we should aim to bring these three soul traits into their proper balance. For us, the spiritual world is surrounded by sheaths that we ourselves create and that we must also remove through knowledge. But we do not find this knowledge through searching within ourselves. It can come to us when we allow a phenomenon of nature to work upon us with great intensity. For example, the sun slowly sinking into a quiet sea. Living with nature in the right way has an awakening and nurturing effect on esotericists. But they must not surrender to nature exclusively. On a sea voyage from Constantinople, Nicholas of Cusa had the most intense spiritual experiences. The master of wisdom and harmony of feelings compressed help and support for us into a prayer like the ocean in a drop. 
This is possible in the spiritual, but of course not in the physical. The Master wishes for this prayer to be used continually as the conclusion of our esoteric lesson. It portrays all of evolution, the rise and fall of the human being. In the spirit lay the seed of my body. End of Record A Record B There are people who live as though locked within a certain mental horizon, within which they may be very much at home and are able to achieve significant things. Such people close themselves off, so to speak, from everything that might want to enter into the range of their mental horizon, or they reshape it so that it fits into their horizon. These are people who live primarily within the consciousness soul, in whom the consciousness soul greatly overwhelms the other members of the soul. Very active people, people with strong will, belong to this group. The occultist has a name for such people, Sadducee. Then there are people who would like to explain everything and would like to find everything explainable. Even when they act out of a strong drive to find the truth, such people easily come to a place in the end where they are not concerned with the truth. For there is no absolute truth. Truth is relative, changeable, and must accommodate itself to the spirit of the time and to what is individual in an individual. Even if two people say the same thing, it may not be the same thing. And what is true today will not be true in exactly the same way tomorrow or after months or years. We will be able to speak about Goethe in the truest sense and see things in a way that most approximates his approach if we do not repeat the exact words he spoke as he had to express himself a hundred years ago, but rather if we speak in his spirit using his approach, as Goethe would himself speak in our entirely different time with its entirely changed conditions. On the other hand, those who hold to the exact words, to a rational explanation, weave themselves into thought systems and into concepts that are set for all time. What is true for such people, what they have recognized as true and correct, should, according to them, be true for everyone and should remain true for all times. Such people are ruled by the intellectual soul. For this kind of people, an esotericist uses the expression Pharisee. Thus we have within us the Pharisee and the Sadducee, and we must realize that both of them work, are at work, and must be at work in each one of us, inasmuch as we are speaking of our work on the physical plane. What is important is that the Pharisee and Sadducee within us do not proliferate and get the upper hand over the other members of the soul. We see in the examples of Homer or even Shakespeare how this is to be understood. For example, doctors who have studied Homer carefully claim that Homer must actually have been a doctor. Or there are other people who are exceedingly interested in handmade crafts. They think that Homer must necessarily have been involved in some handcraft because what he reports concerning it is so incredibly accurate. Even Napoleon, the great field martial genius, once expressed the opinion that Homer must have had great skill as a tactician and strategist, 
because the description of tactics in the title Iliad is so competent and correct. Similar things could be said of Shakespeare. These writers knew how to subordinate their own opinions. They knew how to crawl into the essence of what they wanted to describe to such an extent that they could speak as a doctor, as a craftsman, as a field marshal to doctors, craftsmen, field marshals, and so forth. Now there are other people who close themselves off in another fashion, and in doing so can, given certain circumstances, achieve significant things. Furthermore, they can be quite pleasant, dear people in their way. These are people who live entirely within their own feelings, who, like Johannes Tauler or Meister Eckhart, withdraw into their inner life and live entirely within it, like hermits living in their own world within which they deeply, inwardly experience beautiful and sublime realities and are also able to give something from themselves, something that is, however, in a certain way, such that when others read or imagine it, it is no longer entirely the same thing. The way that they experience it and present it to the world is actually valid and entirely correct only for themselves. All those who are merely mystics and fuzzy-headed visionaries, but also significant poets of all ages, belong in this group. In our time also there are many artistic natures of this sort. In a certain sense, we could call this kind of inner experience precisely the fundamental artistic and aesthetic mood of sensitive people of our time. There are also many such natures among theosophists, natures who close themselves off and in doing so consider themselves to be someone special. This mood is also entirely understandable, for this kind of inner constitution comes from a preponderance of what should be the strongest within us, which we call the sentient soul. The esotericist characterizes such natures with the word a scene. You may be surprised by this, because the school of the Essenes is something lofty and significant. It certainly is. It is entirely justified in fulfilling its great and sublime task in the physical world. But for those who are striving to enter the spiritual world, a more or less one-sided training, in the sense described as Essene, is just as dangerous for us as the excesses of the Pharisee or the Sadducee. The Pharisee and the Sadducee should not rule within us. The Essene should indeed rule over the Pharisee and the Sadducee, but in such a way that a proper mixture, a balance is brought about through the harmonizing forces of the sentient soul. Harmony of our inner soul forces can come about only when our willing and thinking are guided by our feeling, when they are permeated by properly balanced feelings. And we must always bear in mind that it is only in the physical world that we can work rightly through these soul forces. A soul constitution arrived at through the proper harmony of these forces can serve as a foundation for ascent into the spiritual world. But these soul forces themselves must remain with the guardian of the threshold.
The only thing that can remain in the spiritual world for us is what we have created in our higher self as manas. We take only our memory with us into the spiritual world. Our lower self and all our other remaining lower members remain behind. When the lower members die away, there is of course an extract, a summary of the experiences and impressions from individual incarnations as a seed for a new form in the next incarnation, the causal body. End of Record B Record C The forces that allow us to ascend into higher worlds are present in every soul, but they are bound up with the physical body. And for this reason, the forces of the higher bodies are bound up with the physical body, because experiences must be had on the physical plane that cannot otherwise be had in any other world. They must be torn away from the physical body with forces from the higher bodies, and this happens through meditation. Spoken in esoteric terms, this means that the Sadducee in us must be overcome. This is the consciousness soul that overwhelms the rest of the soul life. It seeks absolute truth, even though on the physical plane truth can be found only for a specific time, for a specific area. We must find truth in keeping with our time. Goethe was brought forward as an example. Dr. Steiner said, quote, Early on I experienced and saw how Goethe is now living in higher worlds and how he wants to be interpreted in order to bring to expression what he has to say. One is not allowed to use his words from the past in order to do this. Quote. It belongs to the secrets of the great initiates that they speak the right words at the right place at the right time. The great wisdom of Buddha consists of this, that he recognized the point in time of approximately 500 years before Christ as the right time for his teaching. What is important is how where and when certain things must be thought and done for the progress of humanity. With greater clarity, the occultist can now see the great initiates who have achieved incredibly lofty heights of initiation, whether they are incarnated in physical bodies or they are living only in the spirit. We see them gathered around Christ in order for him to reveal to them and for them to reveal from Him what Christ has brought down from spiritual worlds, from a height to which the initiates themselves could not have found their way. All of this occurs so that what is brought down can stream into humanity. Among these disciples of Christ are individualities such as Buddha, Krishna, Pythagoras, and so forth. The intellectual or mind-soul is the Pharisee in the human being that would do violence to the other parts of the soul. It causes us to accept as believable only that which we ourselves are fond of and to be dishonest with ourselves. The Essene in the human being is the excessive sentient soul that is one-sided and closed off in itself. 
It claims for itself an ascent into higher worlds and does not seek knowledge of and a connection with the cosmos. Parenthesis Steiner mentioned sunrise and how differently it can be experienced by different human beings. He also mentioned Nicholas of Cusa and the awakening of the inner life. Close parenthesis. None of the three, neither the Sadducee nor the Pharisee nor the Essene, must be allowed to become the ruler. Rather, each must become the servant of the others. Pharisee and Sadducee must both become servants of the Essene. The Essenes certainly knew that their lofty, magnificent order can be constructed only on the earthly plane. Not even this order is appropriate in the spiritual world. The feeling of shame as it began with Adam and Eve can overtake us, shame for the nakedness, concerning which we should be ashamed before God. When we pour this deep feeling of shame over our entire soul life, then a force will arise in us that teaches us to overcome the Sadducee, the Pharisee, and the Essene. We must direct our attention to the feelings, to the inner processes, and what goes on in our inner life. This is necessary for our inner development. It is important in meditation that we gather together all our fragmented soul forces through the meditation into a point in the soul where all physical experience is excluded. Everything depends upon the intensity of the force that is developed, not upon the power of the thought. All that esotericism gives us and would give us is summarized in that which the Master of Wisdom has given us in the prayer, quote, in the spirit lies the seed of my body, close quote, end of record C, record D. The dominance of the consciousness soul in occultism is called the inner Sadducee. It is seen when people have sharply outlined concepts of the truth, have little use for what is all-inclusive, and think that these concepts are unchangeable, as, for example, scientific people, who do not want to admit that every truth has its time and place. The dominance of the intellectual soul is called the inner Pharisee. This occurs when people experience a truth and then want to convince other people of its objective validity. When people think that what they have understood as truth for themselves must also hold true for others. Therefore, there is always in play a certain dishonesty toward oneself and others, whom we want to convince that what we have personally experienced is the only acceptable truth. Thus, this soul constitution always creates an impression of hypocrisy. The dominance of the sentient soul is called the Essene. Of course, the Essenes were an order that did good things in their time. Nevertheless, we can speak of the inner Essene within the human being. This is the, quote, exclusive immersion in one's own soul, close quote, quote, the withdrawal from others, close quote. It is asceticism and waiting for revelation from higher worlds. In our time, it would be an appeal to Tauler, Meister Eckhart, and other such mystics. The refusal to learn, the unwillingness to learn what is necessary for knowledge of higher worlds in the cosmos and in nature, 
This is what characterizes the inner Essene. Everything that cannot stand up to the guardian of the threshold must inwardly be fought. Each one must serve the other too if we wish to become good esotericists. When truth is to be revealed, then the where, how and when is always important. The greatness of Buddha consisted in this, that he gave his teaching in a certain age, at a certain place and in a certain way. If his teachings are repeated today, they are not correct, for usually it is the mistakes that will endure and are repeated. Every age has its own truths, or a specific form in which they are to be proclaimed for the progress and evolution of humanity. Record E. Excerpts From all that has happened in these days we can understand that it is important to get away from our physical bodies. All human beings have the ability to do this. Nevertheless, we see in everyday life that so few can actually do it. Why is this so? We are all in higher worlds and sleep, but in our daily consciousness we have no awareness of this. Life here conditions us so that our consciousness is occupied with the things of the physical world. Thus we do not notice the stream flowing deep within us. The forces are always present but we do not notice them. In what way is it possible to call forth this ability? The spiritual stream must become so strong in us through meditation that we can become conscious in these higher worlds. There we must not think of the various physical things or of our personal experiences. We must concentrate well and live only in this concentration. Here we can proceed from a certain thought, and then through this thought we can arrive at the correct mood. The book titled A Way to Self-Knowledge is a means to achieve this. Here we take a thought, develop it, and then the forces for meditation will come. But this happens in very different ways for different people. People think the truth is the same for all times and for all beings. This is, however, false. If something is the truth for an era, it is not the truth for always. And if a truth is true for human beings, it is not true for all the other beings on the other planets. We see only a little of the truth, and the truth itself is only relative. This is the greatness of Buddha, that he came at the right time, to the right country, in order to give the right portion of the truth which he could give. Later he moved to other places, indeed to another planet. We must not believe that the leader of the Essenes was like this or that, or that Jesus was like this or that. Certainly the leader of the Essenes taught his disciples only a certain part of the truth, the part that has to do with Christ, that he would come here to earth in a physical body. They had a specific mission to fulfill, and afterward we hear nothing of the Essenes. And that is the end of part 8 of the book which goes from pages 316 to 362.